Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. This episode of Silent Giants is brought to you by Ali. Ali, powered by Verizon locations, are developed by Verizon the world's leading technology company. In collaboration with Alley, a membership-only community workspace for creators. Each location is a community curated powered by the emerging technologies and thought leadership of Verizon. With Alley, Verizon is bridging the gap between startup and corporation by helping the community workspace build next-level ecosystems for entrepreneurs. Now, on to my episode with Mr. Motherfucking Esquire. Trying to show people that you have to chase your soul. You have to chase... What you can't even describe, what you feel. Be consistent, be true to yourself, stay open-minded, look for openings. And when you see an opening, be prepared to take advantage of it. And that's my why, you know, and I will always be this way. It doesn't matter. Tomorrow doesn't matter. The day the week after that doesn't matter. None of this matters. I've already committed myself to this journey, and I'm going to die on this path. Yeah, yeah, check it out. I'm your host, Corey Cambridge. Uh, yeah. Everybody tuning in, you invited, you invited. No matter what mood you in, get excited, get excited. Everybody love the music, let me tell you how they do it. Whether writer or an agent, let me tell you how they made it. You are now talking to a silent giant. Wanna walk in their shoes, silent giants. Wanna study they moves, silent giants. Wanna know what they do, silent giants. Silent giants, y'all. <laughs> Welcome to the Silent Giants Podcast, a podcast highlighting the superstars behind your favorite superstars and creative industries. I'm your host, Corey Cambridge. To keep up with the latest on the show, be sure to follow us on Instagram at, at Silent Giants Podcast. To keep up with my life, music, and more, be sure to follow me as well at, at Corey Cambridge. This week's episode is with rapper and my very good friend, Mr. Motherfucking Esquire. Yeah, I know what you're thinking. We typically focus on the silent giants of the industry. But in 2011, with zero budget and management, Mr. Motherfucking Esquire's viral song and video for Huzzah grossed an astounding 2.4 million YouTube views, and his mixtape, Lost in Translation, exploded to become an internet sensation. In this episode, we cover X's upbringing in Crown Heights, how he got into music, shares how he developed his sound and brand, and the creative strategy behind his viral sensation, Huzzah. Lots of gems in this episode for sure. So, without further ado, let me introduce you to the artist, my fellow Brooklynite, and good friend, Mr. Motherfucking Esquire. No, no, I'm good here. I'm comfy. Okay, Cozy. okay. All right, all right. X-Men, what's good, player? Chilling, baby. Long time no see? Super long time no see. Well, well, well I guess I went back to see you perform at uh, in Williamsburg. What was the venue? It wasn't a venue. It was just an alley. It was a converted venue. Wait, it's a venue. Yeah, but it didn't have a name. <laughs> but no, no, no. It was a it was a bar. Yeah, but like they whole thing is I'm not supposed to say it's a bar. Oh, so you're not supposed to say it's a bar? No, nah, we weren't supposed to say it's a bar. Okay, well, I mean, it wasn't alley. There was a bar nearby. Essentially. Attached. Correct. <laughs> an unassociated it an associated. It was an alleyway bar. behind the bar. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cause that, that part is not generally open to the public. Oh, okay, okay, so, okay. okay. their whole thing, I forgot the name of those people, Sino, the okay. people who threw it together. Their whole thing is, the whole appeal of their brand is they throw events in spaces that aren't, let me turn it off. They throw events that are in spaces that aren't for events. Okay. So if I said it was at a bar, that would go against their brand because their gotcha. brand is, they don't throw events in bars. They throw events in alleyways, rooftops. Okay. Okay. Shit that's not appropriate for an event. That's the whole thing they do. Okay. Okay. So like uh like what uh like a black market concert. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's full supposed to be outlaw. That's dope. That's yeah. dope, man. No, it was dude, it was really good seeing you rock again because you know we haven't. That was connected. my first show in, in was two it years. Two years? Yeah. Like maybe two. Probably two. Incredible show. Yeah, right. Not even rehearsed. Did you feel good? Yo, I, I knew it was good, man. It's second nature. But did yeah. you did you feel uh nervous at all? No. Wow. No. Not even after two years? No. 
Damn. No, not really, no. That's common. Do you like, like practice at home? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. I just, um, I don't know. Shit's like second nature, bro. Like, I could do it right now. If 50 people came in here right now, it's like, yo, throw a show real quick. I'm going to pay you. All right, get two speakers. Corey, get the turntables. <laughs> <laughs> Look, you don't want me to DJ, man. But the only vinyl I have right now is like Thriller, Purple Rain. You don't want that. You can make it work. <laughs> Somehow. Get the, get the acoustic guitar. You'll turn up. Because we met, we met through Arnold. I'll never forget the first. We did? Okay. So we met uh-huh. at um, Webster Hall. Webster Hall. And uh, Arnold invited me out to the show because Arnold was my roommate at the time. I mean, Arnold lived together for like two years when okay. we first moved to the city. Yeah, all right. I remember that now. And then mm-hmm. uh, we went to Webster. Mm-hmm. And I honestly, I, I'm, not the, I'm not the person who catches the first wave of dope shit. Mm-hmm. Like, I have dope friends that mm-hmm. catch that wave and they put me on, mm-hmm. you know? So I'm associated mm-hmm. um, uh, with those folks. So Arnold calls me out. He's like, yo, come on to this show. I'm mm-hmm. like, all right, cool. So I get there, and the first thing is uh, um, he playing Pat's there. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, oh, yo, what's up, what's up, what's up, what's up? Then Nigel's there. What's up, what's up, what's up, what's up? And mm-hmm. I, didn't, I don't know any of these folks mm-hmm. at this point. Uh, and then you come on stage, mm-hmm. and... I remember this, night. <laughs> <laughs> and there had to be, I would say, like 15 people on the stage. Mm-hmm. Since it's DJing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had since I had since on the podcast. Yeah, I know. So yeah, I didn't get to listen to y'all. I want to hear. It. Yeah. So um, his podcast is dope too. Oh, he has one. Yeah, I don't know. He his lives podcast in, is fire. He lives in the mountains now. Like we don't he, talk like he, that. He does. Yeah, he yeah. does. But his, his podcast is really, really dope. Okay. Very insightful. All right. Um, and so next thing I know, you do like three songs. New York, don't fuck with me. Uh huh. Fuck this. Nah, it wasn't that. It was um. Were you mad about something? Yeah. Cause I was nah, I was probably a little tipsy. So, drunk, so it wasn't. Like, there we go. Niggas was fucking with me. It was the bouncer. He wouldn't let us in. He wouldn't let me in for some reason. Yeah, like a thing against me. Ah, okay, okay, okay. So that's who I was talking to all night. I was yelling at him while I was on stage. Ah, okay, okay, okay. Because I have a mic, and when you got a mic, nobody he can't yell back at me now. So I just was cursing him out and I told him to suck my dick. Okay. Out. And then he got fired behind that. Actually, I made him lose his job. Oh, damn. No, nah, good for him. <laughs> he was in the wrong business. Yeah, he shouldn't have been acting like that. Nah, the, the owner came. He's like, yeah, I'm getting rid of this guy. You know, he didn't, you know, like, yeah, fuck him, man. Get him the fuck out of here. <laughs> I remember you were being like, you were like super like, like pissed off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you took off. You were like, I'm out of here. Yeah, yeah. And I remember that night. Yeah, we, and it ended up... We hung uh, out all night that night. And yeah, we went we back did. to Williamsburg. Yep, went to Williamsburg. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the next night, we, you invited me over to your crib, and I brought mm-hmm. red wine. Well, wine. We laughed at you. We laughed. Mm-hmm. Hard, hard body. Bring your wine to look at It was us. good. It was yeah. good shit. It was mm-hmm. Sonoma. I, I never forget. I was going yeah. through. I, like, I got to make you some impression. Mm-hmm. Like, Esquire, man, I got I to gotta bring him some, some good yeah. stuff. So yeah, I go I through some Sonoma County. Mm-hmm. Look at this mm-hmm. shit, like... What the fuck is this, bro? nigga. I remember that. Yo, I never laughed at you for yo, about a yo, hour. You laughed. So, yeah. Yo, I, swear, swear to God, I literally was like, I'll, I don't know if I could ever bring red wine again. Yeah, yeah. Like to my boy's crib, yeah, ever. Yeah. You know what? If you listen to us, you would have gout now. True. Ah. See, you know what? If I had listened, <laughs> if only I listened, I would have like gout. I'd be gout arthritis be free. Gout free, baby. Yeah, you know, without a gout. Ain't no gout about it. <laughs> Quit. No nah, man, we're doing. It's just great seeing you again, man. Absolutely, and, and, man. and you look great. As we as we touched on earlier, black doesn't really change. Our conversation crack, changes. Yeah, you know we have more. You know we're, we're on our phones. We're having like business. I call it boss talk. Yeah, boss talk. We're, we have a lot more boss talk, which mm-hmm. is nice. Mm-hmm. But we still look the exact same. Yeah, yeah. You got to know. You got to feel the transition. Oh, for sure. Bossery. You got to know. You got to own it. Oh, dude. I look at my. Literally, it's a thing for me. Where I look at my text messages. Uh-huh. And I'm like, yo, if I don't see every other mm-hmm. with a boss on it, mm-hmm. I'm not having a good day. No, it's not, no, it's not active. No, it's not active. Yeah, yeah. It's not good. Mm-hmm. But, dude, I'm very happy. Welcome back, man. It's so good seeing you. So, actually, I want to get started with the interview. Like, you're from Brooklyn, of course. We all know this. Brooklyn, Crown and, Heights. And I want to establish the reason why this goes a little bit against, a little bit of a different interview for me, mm-hmm. because the... People that I interview mm-hmm. are behind the scenes of the music industry. They're the yeah, silent I was giants. About that. Yeah, yeah. Right. So you're the silent giant. You're the only giant, mm-hmm. vocal giant, mm-hmm. who's been on the show. Mm-hmm. But the reason why your this interview is important is because I think it's what I always want to uh, to express with the audience. Mm-hmm. 
is mm-hmm. use this platform as a learning tool. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we have a lot of people who mm-hmm. want to be an artist, mm-hmm. you know? And so I think it's your story and your journey and your, I want to really tap into your, your, the marketing and the strategy that goes behind your music. Cause mm-hmm. what you were able to accomplish with your music, with, with not a lot of money, mm-hmm. with just sheer talent and, and vision mm-hmm. for yourself mm-hmm. is something that companies pay, you know, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of dollars to PR people to produce. This is true. And so that's why you're here. Because mm-hmm. you're an insightful man. Sometimes. I can be. All the time. <laughs> you, you, you walked in kicking wisdom. <laughs> looking at the globe. Yeah, yeah, right? <laughs> now, that was crazy. I never knew that. Yeah. So, so we, we got to figure out where we're traveling next. Yeah, yeah. I'm telling you, man. We got to go to Africa, you, I, I'm down for a pilgrimage. Yeah, yeah. Like, let me know where you want to go. No I'm, shoes. We go over there barefoot the whole time. I'm down. I need to touch the concrete. And you know that that, go, that goes against the brother them. It does? What? Yo, you never see brothers in flip flops. No, no. I mean barefoot, straight feet, concrete. Right, but that's I, it. No how many flip-flop. How many boys of your boys have you seen their feet? Most of them. Most of them? Mm-hmm. Man, that's that's true brotherhood. Touring. Okay. You gonna okay. see feet? Okay. You gonna smell and see feet? Okay. Okay. Just, touring is one. Touring, touring is something is, different. Feet is just part of touring. You are right? But I can actually remember most of my friends' feet just of of memory. Like I could draw them. But right I think now. it's because you don't see a lot of your bros' feet. Yeah. Where you're like, oh, damn. No, I think I'm traumatized more so, and I just think it's PTSD. <laughs> <laughs> I make sure I keep my shit scrubbed up. Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? All right. That's what I got. be, well, you know what? Hey, because you're not going to see my feet. <laughs> uh, so, actually, we, we know you're from Brooklyn, but tell me a little bit about your background, man, and, and, uh-huh. and where you're from in Brooklyn. I'm from Crown Heights, Brooklyn. Kingsborough Projects, Kingsborough Housing Projects. Before I lived there, I lived in Best Stop, Brooklyn. And, and what was it like growing up in, and so you lived in Bedside till how long? In the Bedside till I was six years old. Till six? Mm-hmm. And like, what are some of your fondest memories of growing up in Brooklyn? Like, what was that like for you? Because um, you also grew up in a Brooklyn that was a very different time. Yeah, pre-gentrification Brooklyn. Right. Pre, pre-white Brooklyn. Um, uh, what I can remember about growing up in Brooklyn is that, what, do I, what are my, some of my memories, my fondest memories? Yeah. Uh, going to like, the Brooklyn Children's Museum, my mother, and, and like, they had, like, this big, um, big tube you walk down, and there's a lot of lights on it. It's still there, actually. They remodeled it, but it's still exactly the same. But I always remember doing that when I was little. But uh, what I remember about the city back in them times, like, before it was gentrified, like, it, culturally, it felt warmer. Like, every block was crowded, you know what I'm saying? Mm. Like, you go down any block, and that block was, like, that block. You know, now I feel like Brooklyn is hollow in the sense that even in the summertime, blocks are empty. Oh, dude, for block parties. Yeah, you don't even see them shits like, like that. I even mean, if you, they you do, see, they're, some they're neighborhoods, there. but they're not what they used to be. Yeah. If it, even just on a regular day, summertime, when it's, it's just like you have just felt culturally more enriched. Like every neighborhood had its own identity. Everybody, you felt more of an ownership of what was going on back mm. in those times. To me, I know growing up in my area, we felt the ownership, even though we didn't physically own the bricks, we didn't own the concrete, we didn't own the streets, you know what I'm saying? But you felt this was my home, you know? When I come here now, it kind of feels, like I said, it feels hollow, you know what I'm saying? It's not it's not exactly the same, but... So those are like my fondest memories of Brooklyn. It's just going to different areas, Maybe getting chased and shit or, or whatever stupid shit we was getting into. But every day we felt so like, I can't explain it. I can't explain it. I don't know. Maybe it's because I'm getting older too. Maybe that's why. I don't know what the experience is for somebody who's 14 years old now growing up in Brooklyn. What, but they're I, going to Nets games? Yeah. We didn't have that. <laughs> we didn't have that luxury back then. That was a real yard. Like, you know, it, it just felt, I don't know. It felt more homely. Well, even from my experience being here, in, in Brooklyn, and the you know it'll be seven years for mm-hmm. me in, in February, mm-hmm. and you know my experience being in the city is that there was a lot more of community because because of the affluency and money that's coming in, mm-hmm. people are in and out. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. versus like you know the the sad thing about you know poverty is also is is the crime and the struggle of poverty, but mm-hmm. the beautiful thing is that people are here. Yeah. Um, and so when you're here, you're able to cultivate culture. Mm-hmm. You're you're invested in the community. Mm-hmm. This is what you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a heartbeat. Think, it's a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. And so, I, you know, even when we see the summer block parties here now, uh, I know what they're going for. Yeah. And I know I can feel within the, the people that have been here for 20 plus years mm-hmm. who remember the old Brooklyn, mm-hmm. 
almost like a sense of sadness of like, yeah, I'm, this you know, this ain't it. Yeah, you know, you're rocking. Yeah, you're, some of your family members aren't here anymore. Yeah. You grew up with aren't here anymore, and I got, I can understand that. Yeah. How, how did you get into, um, into music necessarily? Got into music. Um, I don't know. You know what it was? I got into music because I never fit in, right? And then like I was a nerd, you know what I mean? And I grew up in the hood. My hood was real bad. So when I came outside, I didn't really relate to nobody. You know, like my mother kept me in the house. I mostly read comic books. Or I drew, watched wrestling, watched um, American Gladiators and A-Team and shit on Saturdays or whatever. And uh, that was my vibe, you know what I'm saying? So when I came out, like, we like 12, like, I'm, like, still playing with action figures and shit. And my niggas are so crack, you know what I'm saying? So yeah. it was a big culture shock when I got outside. When I, when, I, when I got outside, I was, like, 13, you know what I mean? So everybody, but rap was the thing that, Kinda, we all related to rapping, you know. Not maybe not listening to rap was like the thing that I had in common with everybody. So first, when I started rapping, I started rapping because it gave me a relatability with everybody in my neighborhood, and I was good at it. So it was like I never was like not good at rapping. Like when I started, I was always good. So that's what started my journey as an artist. In a sense, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I'm sure it came spiritually from somewhere else. It's a calling that I happened to come into, obviously. But my cosmetic reasoning for it was like, oh, yeah, when I, now that I rap, everybody accepts me. You right. know what I'm saying? Like, And that's kind of what made me cool in my neighborhood. I got known for being a rapper. I got known for being the rapper. You know what I'm saying? So it gave me an identity. And, and, and what age was this for you? Uh, I started rapping when I was 12 years old. 13 years old, 12 or 13. I was in the seventh grade. Do you remember your first song you ever wrote? Um, vaguely. Was it good? No. <laughs> no. I wouldn't say that. It probably took me about a year to get good. Like, yeah, but after a year, I was pretty good. I was pretty good. Like, everybody would come and get me. Like, if anybody came to the hood, like, that could rap, people would come scream at the window and get me to battle them and shit. Like, I was like the... Defender of the neighborhood kind of shit, you know what I'm saying? And so, uh, who were your early influences? Obviously, you come from a very culturally rich uh, hip hop environment. I typically find, you know, that a lot of artists <clears throat> get their uh, imitate first mm-hmm. and then cultivate their own Absolutely. style later. Absolutely. So, who was the artist that you early on? Um, like, you we used to. Well, how I started was like, um, well, how it started for me is, I guess it's, it's like a movie or some shit, but it's like. Me and my boy, we used to sit in my room and play video games all day, like Nintendo 64 and shit, you know? And then... Um, Goldeneye. Goldeneye. Oh, yeah. I never was good at Goldeneye, though. Me either. But... Um, <laughs> my, my friend would always be, like, with the silent PP7 yep. in the bathroom. <laughs> yeah. Kick your ass, right? Piss me off. I never could be... But anyway. <laughs> so, uh... Yeah, so we used to listen to music and shit, and he'd be like... I, I used to imitate all the rappers. Like, he'd be like, oh, do RZA. Do I, I rap like RZA. Then he'd start laughing. Oh, oh do, uh, do Method Man. I do Method Man. I'll do Biggie, I'll do Biggie. Yo, do, do Onyx, I'll do Onyx. And then, like, one day I was like, yo, I should just try to do me. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, let me write, I'm going to write my own shit. You know what I'm saying? So I definitely do agree with that, that um, I think it does start with imitating and, like, trying to rap like other people, like, kind of set the template for what you are. Then you learn kind of how to put your own identity into it and, and your own reasoning. You feel me? Yeah. Yeah. And, like, and <clears throat> how did the discovery with your own style and your own brand start to, like, come about for you? Was there, like, a turning point moment? Absolutely. Um, I used to... I, all right, I'll tell you. I think it's a pretty interesting story. I think people might get something from this. All right, so I had a, I had a boy. My boy used to DJ for Troy Ave, right? But I know him since I was... He was my best friend's older brother when I was young, before, long before that. You know? Okay. So I, we all grew up together. My boy Unique, Shaw Unique. And... um. He used to always go to his crib, and he was like, in the, he used to make mixtapes. He was like in the record industry and shit. Like he was the closest thing we knew to somebody actually knowing, like the real rappers. Like he knew them. They used to come to his house and shit. Like MOP used to come to his house. Like oh shit, that's you know, right, right. So he had all these. Um, he used to have. He had a phone. He had like a you know back in the day, might have been a phone book, but I think it was a, no. There was a phone book. Yeah, he had a phone book. And it had everybody's number in it that he knew, all his contacts, right? So I used to go to his crib and freestyle. He's like, oh, shut the fuck up, you know? And I was going in the karaoke machine. He had the turntables and rap and shit. And uh, one day he left us in the house. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to steal his phone book, and I'm going to write all the numbers down in the phone book before he come back. 
So we just sat and we write, wrote all the phone numbers out, right? So then I made a tape and uh, I called every fucking number in his book. Went home and called every number. And then <laughs> and one person responded to me. I spoke to like dudes that's like on reality shows now and shit. I'm like, I'm going to talk to him. And I was wow. Like, so long story short, uh, so I meet this guy up at Universal, right? And uh, he's like, oh, okay. Well, you know what? Uh, come up here. I'll give, you, I'll give you a shot. Come up here and bring your CD with you. So there was no email back then, mind you. I mean, it was, but motherfuckers still had CDs. Dial up. Yeah, it was still. <laughs> do, do, do. <laughs> you got mail. Like, it was still at a room. Yeah. So I went up there, and um, me and my, my me and Gouch went. Me and Gouch just went. So shout out to Gouch. Shout out to Gouch. So me and Gouch go up there and shit. He's like, oh, give me a CD. Gave him the CDs. I'm going to call you back in three days. Call me back. Oh, this shit is amazing. I'm like 19 at the time. This shit is dope. You know what I'm saying? So I'm like, word, you know? And um, he's like, yo, I don't sign people, you know, but I'm going to give it to the A&R here who does sign people. Boom. So uh, he listens to it. He calls me now. The A&R calls me. This is fucking dope. You crazy. Ah, ah. Right? So he's like, all right. I, I do this show. It's called uh, Faces in the Crowd. That was the name of it. Can you perform? And I'm like, I never performed before. You know what I'm saying? So he's like, yo, just, I want you to come perform. And it was like me and um, Chrisette Michelle. Oh, wow. Yeah. So he's like, yo, come perform or whatever. So I'm like, all right, cool. I come, I come up there. So I go in my house, I rehearse for like a week. I just kept doing my songs and like just kept like pretending like I'm on stage and like with a pencil, <laughs> you know what I mean? And then I got there and my first show, I killed it. You know, I just killed it. I just did it exactly like I did it in my bedroom. Wow. And um they was like, oh, you really dope, whatever. Chris Seven, they actually signed her that night. She got signed, I think she got signed to Def Jam that night. Oh wow. Whatever she signed. That's that's the night she got signed. And uh, it was a club TNY. It's not there anymore, but whatever. His face in the crowd was at SOBs? It might have been there before. Yeah, it was. It, it, it was a lot of places, but the night I was there was club TNY. Okay, okay. This is a long time ago. Yeah, but where, where, I don't even know where club TNY is. It was, where... like, it was like near Times Square. Okay, okay. So, uh, long story short, short story long. So now they called me back. I'm talking to these people all the time now. You know what I'm saying? So then, this is like, I didn't win the contest. Everybody, I, that was like, I had to be like, if I was like, if I was, it's right before I went away to school. Maybe I just came back from school. So I was like 18, probably. Okay. So around this time, this is like G Unit, the game was out. Okay. Shit. And like, this is all going somewhere, trust me. So, <laughs> it's, so a, it's a great story anyway. So, um, so these dudes, you know, that that's what rap was about, you know? And like, I could rap kind of street. But I never was in the streets like that. So, like, I'm not really good at, like, the intricate street shit because I don't know that shit. You know what I'm saying? I didn't grow up like that. So I'm from around it, so I kind of know, but whatever. But um, so their thing was, like, oh, you know, everybody's rapping this way right now. And, like, the shit you doing is really dope, but it's too lyrical. Mm. You need to make something. And then I remember just doing them shows with them. Like, they would call me. I would do shows and shit all the time. And everybody... I got my guns in the club, got my guns. You know, like the 50 Cent type of music and shit. All that shit. You know, so I was the only one coming up there, some fucking dunks on, whatever. You know what I'm saying? Tight-ass pants at that time, for that time. Yeah. But I still was for the projects. You know what I'm saying? And it was like, nah, you know, you're too lyrical. We want to work with you. But if we do, like, you just, you know, it's not really what's going on now. You know what I'm saying? So I was like, man, fuck y'all. You know what I'm saying? Like, I was really mad about this shit. I still remember. I was on. The, I was going to work. I was working at the Gap, and that's when they called me. I was so fucking mad. You know what I mean? Because I felt like that was such a stupid reason. Because what, what type of encouragement is that to me to tell me that I'm too talented to do what I love to do? Right. That's like, you tell LeBron, different. you drop 80 every game, can't be in the league. Right. You know what I'm right. saying? And you're like, different. Yeah, like you're saying no I'm No one's too ever dope. played the game the way you have. Yeah, you got to get out of here. Such vision. <laughs> the fuck? Right. So for me, it was like, I didn't really kind of know where to go from there. What, am I supposed to get worse at rapping or whatever? So I stopped rapping for maybe like a couple, close to a year. I didn't write. 
Because I was like, man, fuck it, you know? But then I was like, hmm, all right. That's, that's kind of the vibe. So now I'm going to make music that's even more exactly who I am. Like, I'm going to be even, and I don't give a fuck what you think about me now. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I'm going to rub this shit in your face so hard that I'm different. And I'm going to make you fuck with it. And that's when I changed my name to Mr. Motherfucking Esquire because of that. What was your name before that? I don't want to say. <laughs> Is that important? <laughs> yeah. That person's dead. Yeah, he's not around. I mean, he's in there somewhere, I'm sure. But, um... You, you know, we're, we're going we're gonna to have some Sonoma Valley Pinot Noir one night uh-huh. on another cold winter night yeah, and, and, and vibe out. All right, and I'll tell you. <laughs> Full disclosure, I'll tell you that night. But, um... But, yeah, so so that was the vibe. Like, and then that's kind of where it... So that's why I said... You said, like, how did the brand come about? The ideals of it all was basically, and still is, just based off kind of being okay with being a regular dude. But in spite of that, you're like, man, I'm that nigga. You know what I mean? Like, I might not be like him. I might not have all the jewelry on like this dude. You know, I might not have muscles and shit like this thug nigga over here. I might not have all the money in the bins like him. I'm getting on a bus right now. I'm average as shit, but it's something inside of me that's great. And, like, that's what Mr. Motherfucking Esquire represented to me. And I feel like that's kind of why I resonated with people because I was never, like, trying to make myself out to be a gangster or nothing. I always said I'm a regular nigga, but I'm just a superhuman regular. Yeah. <laughs> you know right. what I'm saying? And I think that's what resonates with me because I feel like everybody wants to feel like that. You know what I'm saying? You don't want to... You want to feel as if you're special, too, because I think... Kind of, the, especially as a black man, I feel like a lot of the caricatures that people paint us in, the pictures that people paint, and the places they kind of put us in, they kind of only let us be a couple type of motherfuckers. You know what I'm saying? But you know, you could be a little bit of everything too, right? You know what I'm saying? Like you said, you said, "Oh, dude, met you." So you kind of Wayne Brady is, right? You know what I mean? But I know you a bad motherfucker. You know what I'm saying? So, but you know, who speak for that nigga? You know what artist is saying? That shit, you know, what artist is talking about his girl cheating on him? From, on some hood shit, though. What, what hood dude is saying, my girl cheated on me. I'm hurt. I'm actually hurt about it. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to tell you about the situation. Most dudes say, fuck these bitches. You know right. what I'm saying? I'm saying, I love this bitch, but fuck that bitch, you know? That's more my music. It's more the reality of how a man is going to feel and just just that struggle, you know what I'm saying? And, I, and that's kind of what I built my brand off, of, of being relatable. One thing that I always remember about that night when you invited me over to your crib, the first thing I always remember is that you the the, the jokes, the hour long jokes about me bringing the the wine over. Mm-hmm. But the second thing I remember is is sitting with you and sharing my music. Mm-hmm. And this is the first time coming from where I'm from in Virginia. Um, You're it's from a Richmond, very, right? Richmond, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a very uh, commutative kind of environment. Yeah, I've been there. And there's not like an industry yet because you did Strange Matter there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very commutative, very, uh, they, they, they have a very strong music culture and there's not an industry there. So you're not really thinking about your brand. You're just thinking about like making music and you're mm-hmm. thinking about just hanging out with your friends and mm-hmm. like getting girls after a show. Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing that really struck me about going to your place that time, besides getting bombed on for the wine, yeah, yeah. was you, know, you asked me a very important question. Mm-hmm. And it was such a simple question that actually caused me to really reflect over my career personally. Because mm-hmm. it was such a, as, you never had one of those questions that's so simple when you can't answer it, you're like, damn, I should really go back to the drawing board. Mm-hmm. That question was for me was, yo, why do you rap? <laughs> and I go, yo, because uh, I like to. Mm-hmm. And you were like, no, nah, you like to, I like to rap. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, you know, well, I'm good at it. Mm-hmm. It's fun for me. Well, I'm good at it. It's fun for me. Mm-hmm. And I think it was one of those times in my life where I was able to, to, to realize it's deeper than just being good at your craft. Mm-hmm. It's understanding why you do what you do. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, what is that reason for you of, like, why, you know, why do you rap? Like, what is the, what is the purpose of your music for, for you personally? For me personally? Um, I just can't be a motherfucker where, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die one day. We all are. Fact of life. We're gonna be fresh though. Wrinkle oh, free. Yeah. Wrinkle free. Okay. Wrinkle free. Yeah, yeah. Freshest pair of twins <laughs> ever. But um, but nah, you know, for me, 
I just I just never wanted to be another motherfucker. Like I just never. I mean, I miss the motherfucker, but I miss the motherfucker. I just never wanted to be another person. Not saying nothing's wrong with that. It's great other people, you know. But like for me, I always felt not. I always felt like my soul just wanted so much more. You know what I mean? My existence. It doesn't. And that's not necessarily about because I know now we're in an era with the Instagram and Twitters and. Snapchats and Facebook likes and all all these like algorithms and 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 like triggers for people to have dopamine in their brain because they get validation and shit like that. That's not important to me. I'm, that's totally irrelevant to me as an artist or as a man. But like the thing that's my why, because I feel like when all when all else fails, you always have to re reinvigorate yourself by thinking of your why. Why do I do what I do? It's spiritual for me. You know, I need to let myself bleed into the world or I don't feel like my existence is worth living. That's my why, you know. Everything else is all circumstantial. Record deal is circumstantial. Uh, uh, fame is circumstantial. Money is circumstantial. You know, that could be anything. You could suck and just meet somebody at the corner store right now and he could blow you up because of this or that. Or you can make a song, killing these niggas like Chucky. Killing these niggas like Chucky. Or catch me outside and the fuck, you know, she's millions of streams. She got, she raps now, you know? Right. We could do that all day. But, so that's all circumstantial. For me, the art, the expression, Helping people, you know, when people come up to me, I've had people come to me and cry multiple times. You know, I have a song I should be sleeping. I'm talking about my relationship with my mother. Tippy toe into the kitchen, PJ zone with the feet sewn in them when I walk the slide. Mommy catch me and I'm finished, but I'm on a secret mission for some chips of oil. Now you're laying down until I get them. Twist the doorknob slow so she don't hear the clicking in. Peek into a room to make sure she ain't listening. All I see is the light reflecting from the TV. Hooked on phonics and commercials, so I'm guessing she's asleep. Then I make my move. On my stomach, crawling past the roll. Oh man, I just knocked. Down the wrong. I say still. I gotta be quick, cause if she catch me, guarantee my ass is getting whipped. So I just ran for it. Through all portions to the wind. And once I got there, she was putting up the last dish. She gave me milk and cookies and kissed me on my head. I now take your ass to bed. Yeah, she right. I should be sleeping. I should be sleeping. Yeah, I should be sleeping. I had somebody come to me, my mother passed away. You know, I listened to this song, just got me through so much. Thank you. Hugging me. You know, that's my experience. It's just something I wrote about my mom. Well, my experience was the same thing that I that Biggie was for me when I listened to Suicidal Thoughts and I wanted to kill myself. And that I got that, 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 that. I can't even put it in words, but it, you know, it's catharsis. It, it, cathartic in the minute. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like and and that's why I do what I do, because I know that if I'm not here, because we're all like snowflakes, we're like stars, you know, no snowflake is the same. If my snowflake is missing from the spectrum, then there's somebody who's missing some, a vital ingredient to strengthen themselves and strengthen their day. My experience is my journey. Mm. It gives them... Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Fuel to go out and keep fighting. And it gives me the fuel to keep going out and living this life and 
grinding and the ups and the downs and whatever. You know, it's all worth it. It's all worth it when you put the record out. It's all worth it when people tell you how they feel. You know what I'm saying? Because I'm trying to, I'm just trying to show people that you don't have to settle. You don't have to say, oh, well, you know, I guess I'm just going to be a bus driver. And that's fine. My mother's a bus driver. My dad's a plumber. Like, I'm not knocking that shit. I'm just saying, if you have to, you got you to do what you got to do. But I'm just trying to show people that you have to chase your soul. You have to chase what you can't even describe, what you feel. And that's my why, you know. And I will always be this way. It's not, I've already, it doesn't matter. Tomorrow doesn't matter. The day, the week after that doesn't matter. None of this matters. I've already committed myself to this journey and I'm going to die on this path. Mm. That's it for me. So I, I want to take this back to, um, take us back to this kid who's on the bus, who's has this, this inner giant within him, mm-hmm. who has all the confidence in the world. You have this, this new name, Mr. Motherfucking Esquire. Mm-hmm. And how does your, one thing I really admire that I want people to walk away from this interview from is the combining the, Realization of, okay, I'm going to create a brand, mm-hmm. a, a brand with my talent. Mm-hmm. How did the story go from, for you to, you know, create a viral internet hit? Because one thing that was amazing is using technology um, um, also played a big role in this. So, you know, first tell me the makings of... Truth or truth or lie? What do you want? Well, first let's start off with the, the makings of the song. Okay. And then the story of how that song became a viral sensation. Yeah. Um, all right, so I had this song called Salutations, right? A lot of people don't know that song, but that's, like, the first song I had. That song was, like, the song that I had that made everybody know me in New York. A lot of people don't know that. So, like, I was like, damn, like, we used to perform, I used to rock that shit everywhere in New York, in the city and shit, and, like, everybody knew it. So I'm like, oh, shit, people fucking with me, you know what I'm saying? So I'm like, what the fuck could take it to the next level? You know, what? what can I do to, like... Take it to the next level. And we was like, yo, I I met this dude. I'm going to even wander further than that. I met this dude. He was like a, a radio promoter for college radio. And I was like, hmm, this is, this is, all, this is all scheming. Like, this, so it's like, I was like, hmm, we was trying to get him to play our records on college radio or whatever. But I don't think the records we were making were really fitting what he was trying to do. So I was like, I had this jacket with Hazan on the back. I never knew what it meant. It was a Mishka jacket. So I was like, all right, I'm going to make a song about this jacket because I like the song. I like the name. My boy, some of means celebration. So I came up with the idea. Because of the, I was trying to get on college radio, I said, what better idea to make a song about drinking to get on college radio? Drunk driving on a Wednesday with three bitches in the MPV. Half a gallon of Georgie Porgy and... so that's why I got the idea for the song wow. it's really that simple I didn't so, know that because <laughs> I made it I kind of made that song with the idea that it would be played at frat parties. That was my idea to get it, like... Because I know if you're playing at frat parties, then college kids are going to watch it. They will, If they hear it, they're going to like it because it's resonating with the shit they're doing right now. Right, right, right. You know, I knew I was never going to make a street anthem, like, uh... Because I ain't that type of rapper. So I had to find something that could... What audience can I cater to? How can I relate to people in my way? See? See? You know? Right. So it's all science, you know what I'm saying? Like, all right, well, how do I do that? Okay, all right, I'm going to do a song about drinking. It's, there's something, you know, and they drunk and shit, they could do it, and that'll be like an end, you know what I'm saying? So that's kind of how I thought of that. And then I was like, so then I, when, I, when I would perform it, people would never clap, you know what I'm saying? Like, it'd just be like, motherfuckers just stare at me. And we, I'd go on stage and gotcha would be like, yo, motherfuckers just stared at you. That's good. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? I'd be like, yo, that is good, right? Because, I mean, he's like, that means they're taking it in. 
He's like, they're not checking their phones. They're not looking around. They're just staring at you, bro. That song is it. You know what I mean? Because they take, they trying to figure it out. I was like, I bet. Which is the cold stare in New York. The applause. Mm-hmm. Everywhere else is the cold stare in New you York. You need that. Yeah. <laughs> That's how you know. Yeah. That's how you know you're going to do it. Is that a cold stare or Apollo boo? Yeah, see, it's no, or they just not even paying no. They go to the bar, they talking, chick twerking. Yeah. Like, you shit ain't even a twerk song. She's waiting for you to get on stage. That, 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 you know, the open mic type shit. But, um, yeah, because I cut my teeth performing for three motherfuckers. And then went to 15, and then went to 30, then it went to 50. You know, like, right. I literally did all that shit. So, um, yeah, you know, so that was it. So I was like, damn, how can I take it to the next level? And that's when I came with the idea, like, oh, shit, we get a crack and we get a video for this shit. If we do a video, it's lit. You know what I'm saying? Because now I feel like I stopped doing, I stopped putting, I used to put out a lot of songs. I just stopped. I was like, I'm going to just worry about this one specific song. I'm just going to keep pushing this one ass song. You know what I'm saying? And then I was like, all right, bust it. Make it happen like that. We'll just, we'll just, um, we'll just, we'll just do a video for it. Cause when people see me and they see how I am and they get a taste of me, then they're going to love me. That's how I felt. Like, once people see my personality and, like, my confidence and they see how I dress and who I am as a man, I, I felt like it was going to resonate with people automatically because it's genuine. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So that was it. That was it. You know, that's really the whole orchestration of the record. Now, how do we get it to go viral? That's the cheat, right? Because I'm going to be honest, I'm not going to sit here and, like, paint a picture of the music industry that it's not. You know what I'm saying? In a way, we kind of cheated, but we didn't. It was all, like, kismet in a sense. Like, um, we just kind of was hustling. Like, uh, my boy, at the, my, my best friend, Gouch, at the time, he had a... Uh, he, he used to work at, uh, like, this um, magazine and shit. Like, do video editing. But he didn't know how to edit video. Okay. But he got the job because he lied. He just lied. He was winning there one day and lied. <laughs> and then he went home and watched YouTube, the tutorials on how to edit video. He just studied it for one night on, the, you know, like on his laptop, woke up the next day, did it in the morning, went to the interview and just did exactly what he did on his laptop. <laughs> and they hired him. That's some New York shit right there. Yeah, Fake it till saying. you make it. Yep. And then we, he just, but he just used it as an opportunity to push me. So he just got in there and then everybody he would meet, he was just showing my video. And then one day, like people started seeing it. And like I said, when you're real, it resonates. You know what I'm saying? I think this is important. I think just in the creation of yourself as an artist, and I don't even necessarily mean that just in music. I mean that in anything, like creating a brand, whether you're a photographer like Terry Richardson or you're a fucking actor like uh, Will Arnett or some shit, you know, whoever the fuck, you know what I'm saying? We all got a shtick. We all got a thing we do that people fuck with us, you know what I'm saying? Or we got an aura, image. But I think, and this is important, I think anybody listening to this needs to write this the fuck down. Don't, be too far outside of who you are on a day-to-day. Or just accept that you will play a caricature for the rest of your life. Know how to be real enough that when you want to transition into being your real self, your true self, you don't have to, you won't lose your fan base because now they don't know you. You know what I'm saying? That's like the key, I think. And that's what I think. That's why I think I've been able to be successful. Because I would, I would say in my mind, I'm, I'm successful. I'm more successful than I ever thought I would be. Well, I always thought I would be successful. I'm not going to lie. I always had it in my mind that I'm going to make this work. But, like, I think I've been able to garner a really strong fan base. And I've been lucky enough to have motherfuckers that pay, you know, which is another thing. Because I think a lot of new fans, they don't really like... That whole paying shit is foreign to them. But um, I think it's because I've been able to establish an authentic connection. You know, and I think even visually, that's important. Visual visuals are my lifeline as an artist. Like some people, like Cardi B, she gets on Instagram, she cracks some jokes. Yeah, bitches, I got the, you know, my titty hurt. Ah ha ha. Whatever, you know what I'm saying. My thing is always my videos and and the story of it and the 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 bombasticness of it all. You know what I'm saying. So, but I I just try to keep it close to me and like, I think that's like. One of the keys to branding is, like, keeping your shit as tight to you as possible, but just turning the volume up on your real personality to, mm. like, 30. You know what I'm saying? Because I'm, ab- I'm absolutely everything I am in a song, but I'm not like that every day. You know what I'm saying? Right, of course. And I think I think that's kind of 
I think that's a trick, you know. And it's finding that niche about you that other people see in themselves or want to see. And I think you resonate like that. I'm not sure, but that's how I think it works. Because so when you put out the 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 video, what mm-hmm. was the initial response? Was it a it's crickets? So, so it wasn't a big blow up in the. I don't know it was crickets for months. For months? Yeah, absolutely. And so, what, what was the turning point for you? Uh, where motherfuckers start writing about me, people just start to start like, I don't know, man. You know, because just... you were saying that you were pushing one song, you yeah, were pushing Huzzah. Mm-hmm. Like, what what went into the? I think that's a, one a very interesting strategy. Mm-hmm. To, I think there's two ways you can go. Mm-hmm. You can go with flood the market consistently with new, 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 yeah, new, yeah. new, or you can flood the market with one. Mm-hmm. What was your strategy? And and it could have been something you. Cooked up in your mind or by accident, just by moving. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was that strategy behind getting that one song to blow? From crickets uh, to... So, just showing it to everybody. Just pushing it, you know, like, sending it to every person possible. You know what I mean? Then I got my boy working here, so he's interviewing all the rappers. Oh, yeah, it's the... Oh, Wiz, what's up? You know? This is my boy right here. You know what I'm saying? Whoever the fuck, you know? And then, then people started knowing it on the back scenes. You know what I'm saying? It's just, it's all about that shit. Like, it's just all about, it's all about, uh, I have a saying. Uh, this is my saying. So anybody else, you see them use it, they got it from me. Yeah. So you have to stay in the conversation in order to be argued about. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, you got to stay in the convo. So if you're in the conversation, then motherfuckers can start arguing. He the best. No, we not. But if you're in the conversation, they can't argue about you. You feel me? But like, uh, even you know who else did that? Not to talk about other motherfuckers in my interview, but you know. Yeah, but um, nah, nah. Uh, Fetty Wap, like Trap Queen. I was just about to say yeah, he had that. that song for two years before anybody I was ever just heard about it. to he just say said that. that's the only song you would let people hear because he knew that works. I believe in that. I still believe that works. And so, like, was there a, a pivotal turning point moment from crickets to when you realize, oh, this is more than just crickets? Uh, I just um, people just start hitting me up all the time. Were you using Tumblr at the time? Yeah, I was on Tumblr. But, you know, it was funny. Um, yeah, Tumblr. I, I used to tumble a lot. Because my, my boy in Virginia discovered you via Tumblr. Via Tumblr. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. And so yeah. how did you get that Tumblr momentum? Like, how did that even happen? Yo, I don't even fucking know. You know, yo, I, I, I really genuinely, you know, I, that's why, like, for me, being on your podcast and shit, being candid, like, I'm not, I'm not as smart as a strategist as people think I am. Like, everybody always thinks that and shit. But honestly, I, I really just kind of go for the... What I do, like, maybe that's the lesson people can learn from me then, is that I just feel like just being genuine and consistent, it resonates and it always works. Mm. And it doesn't matter the platform. It doesn't matter the technique. It matters the content. Mm. You, the content matters, rather. You know what I'm saying? And, like, even on Tumblr, like, People found me on Tumblr, but I never knew what Tumblr even was. I just knew it was a blog, and I had a blog on Blogspot, but Blogspot got kind of played out, and everybody's like, oh, everybody's using Tumblr now. So I just went over to Tumblr, and I just and people started just fucking with it off Tumblr, but I didn't even know who the pertinent people were that were, like, retumbling me or whatever the fuck it was. I just was putting shit up there, and they was just like, oh, this shit, oh, look at this picture. Like, I was just becoming a cult type of thing. Wow. But without even really recognizing that, oh, shit, people were, like, vibing and following me. You know what I'm saying? I never really seen it or knew it was... I wasn't cognizant of it. You know what I'm saying? I've never been. Because I, I wonder, too... That's what I always thought was really fascinating. Cause one thing I, I noticed that... um. You know, even with a with a podcast or mm-hmm. whether it's music or whether it's fashion, is realizing in the marketplace where there's a void mm-hmm. and how do I fill that void? Like, mm-hmm. where is the problem and how do I solve it? Um, Absolutely. Like, in your product. Absolutely. But did you know at that time, it's 2011. Mm-hmm. So this is also the boom of the internet mm-hmm. and where New York has had such a, a tight... Dry spot. Dry spot. Right. Mm-hmm. There was a major drought as far as, you know... Oh, after you don't 50- think I'm being condescending? I know you're going with this. Yeah. But no... I never thought about it like that. You know what I'm saying? What I did, I, like I said, my I think it's just perfect storm. Well, well, not, not saying you ever thought about it. Yeah. Like, I, I, don't, I don't think that you, like, strategically, like, you know, I'm a builder rapper. Nah. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. But some motherfuckers <laughs> do. People do, especially now. Yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah. I definitely don't think it was a builder, a builder rapper strategy. But did you recognize at a certain point, like, oh, you know, I, I can fill this void. Like, there is a void. I'm in New York. There's no New York rappers that are like 
Boom. And I and I was embody this. <laughs> nah, I never thought about it like that. One thing I want to get into uh, is that you come from, you know, Crown Heights, Brooklyn. Absolutely. When I go to your shows, mm-hmm. you have a fan base mm-hmm. that almost reminds me of Wu-Tang. It's a, you make music for the streets that has caught on, almost have like a punk cult-like following. Mm-hmm. You know, how do you, how do you feel about that? How does that happen and, and how does that change your art? It doesn't. I just, it actually just makes me do it more. You know what I'm saying? Now, like, like okay. Like, even me doing that show the other day, you know? At, the, those, at the Not Bar? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all those kids was, like, 20. Right. And they knew all my shit. Right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm like, yo, dog, like, how am I even relevant in y'all's space? You know what I'm saying? And, then, and that show was on such short notice. Like, if I would have probably had two more weeks to do that, I'd probably have packed that whole shit up. You know what I'm saying? So it was just like, wow, like, how the fuck? How the fuck y'all know it? But it's like, like I said, I keep going back to this point. There's a genuineness there. And I know that that resonates with people. I know it does. I just know it. You know what I mean? And that's why I I, I, I generate that crowd. And it always regenerates itself because I tap into a real emotion. And when you're at that phase in your life, my music speaks to you. So it always rebirths itself. It's like, you know, and I took that from like, Kid Cudi, one of my idols. Kid Cudi, he doesn't have, like, uh, a lot of hits. You know what I mean? Since he first came out, he had Day and Night. He had a couple more. But most of his shit was essentially, he was resonating with people emotionally. That's why you have young fans. And Cudi ain't put a record on how long. Right. But you got young fans that still come to his new shows, still fuck with his shit. And that's why he's always set, because... He resonated with them here. Other motherfuckers, they might catch on trendy, like, oh, I got the gray dreads. You know, oh, gray dreads popping. That shit is popping. Everybody's doing this shit. Turn up. You don't see niggas doing this in the club no more. Yeah. Now the nigga who was doing that, the motherfuckers ain't around no more. You know what I'm saying? But the people who really hit your soul, it's always going to regenerate with a new generation, new generation, new generation. It's going to generate all the weird motherfuckers who feel like they don't belong, that feel like they, you speaking for them and they can see themselves in you and shit. They always going to fuck with you. Was it a was it a, a mind fuck though? Coming from, you know, coming from Brooklyn, mm-hmm. where there were no white people. When I was growing up, no, right. only white people were police and teachers. Right, and so you're you're making music for a community of people and, that's like, around Jewish you. people and shit in Crown Heights, but they're Jewish, did not. That's they're kind of all white. Yeah, it's different. Yeah, I know. different vibe, mm. <laughs> different color. The, yeah, mm. but uh, you know, that would have been a mind fuck for me. Uh-huh. Making music for a community. Uh, mm-hmm. People that I know from my boys, mm-hmm. and then having a completely different audience. Nah, I never did though. Did, did that? Did that create? I never like. I never. Nah. Um. Sometimes. Sometimes you know. And, and, I feel and, like. And, I feel and, like. And I want to okay, stress. Okay. It's not white, right? Because it's, it's yeah, not. Yeah. It's not like white pop, like Christina Aguilera fans. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's like it's almost like a like punk rock mm-hmm. like vibe at the shows. Yeah, yeah. So it's a completely different world than even what would be like mainstream television yeah absolutely um i don't know you know i i took those i, I took a lot of idea ideologies from a lot of different people you know what i'm saying and i looked at the audience that they had and i kind of mapped it out i guess i am kind of smart i don't know <laughs> you're very smart <laughs> you know i try not to give myself that credit but yeah i guess so you know you got to kind of think about yourself in that way that's how you know you could be running running nike or whatever but um but yeah like i just i seen like people like um like tech nine or this is serious shit too, like Insane Clown Posse. Certain people, I seen how loyal and ravenous their fans were. You know what I mean? And it's something I definitely tried to emulate, but more in a black way. You know, not Technon's black than a motherfucker. You know what I'm saying? Right. But I'm just saying more in a hood Brooklyn nigga type of way. You know what I'm saying? But like, I seen that they like, once again, we go back to this point again, just saying, that I seen how much their genuineness resonated with people, you know? And I, I'm going to stress that this whole interview, so I'm going to say that word a lot. But that shit really resonates with people. When you are real, that shit works. That shit, everybody's trying to figure it out. This rap shit, people try to figure it out every day. Oh, what do I do? Oh, some, my boy works at Spotify. He told me if I make a song like this, he'll get me on this algorithm, and they're going to play me right before Be Humble and right after right. <laughs> Vodak Gallo. You know, fuck that shit. Be you. Build your shit up. Stay consistent. Sometimes it's going to be crickets. 
Like right now, I'm coming back. I'm coming back. I took a layoff. I didn't put a. I didn't put a record out, a full record since 2013. Wow. It'll be 2018 next year. Right? Damn, time flies. Time flies like a motherfucker. I know that, you know. But like, I, I'm not, I'm not worried about it. I already know what's gonna happen. You know what I'm saying? Like, I already know. I just know. I just know because I won't allow it to go any other way. I'm going to pay attention to what I need to do, figure it out, figure out what I want, and I'm going to go get it. Like, because I'm real, it's always going to come to me. It's always going to work. I, and so there, there's the marketing side, right? Mm-hmm. And that is um, how you envision yourself mm-hmm. and how you want the world to envision you. Absolutely. But then as, a, as an artist, mm-hmm. you know, um, I did an interview with... <clears throat> With Prince's engineer of Purple Rain, her name is Susan Rogers. Oh shit, and, uh, she's awesome. But one thing she that something that even made me want to do this interview more with you mm-hmm. is that she kept rever- uh, referring to Prince as her boss. Mm-hmm. Um, Everybody has to call him a boss, though. But I read but, that. But you don't typically hear <laughs> an engineer be like, "Yeah, that's my boss," or yeah, like yeah. the songwriter or the stylist. This is my boss. Prince. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I heard you're not allowed to speak to him unless you call him boss. Oh, really? So I heard. I read that. That's some flex shit. Yeah, <laughs> he's that nigga. I have to ask Susan about that. Yeah, I read that shit. But 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 go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. In, in terms of you being, uh, there's the marketing that comes from your mind mm-hmm. and what you want your art, your audience to to I know about it. you. Yeah. As far as your the next element of being a boss is your team. Mm-hmm. And so like, what goes into like you know you being an artist? But what are the other things the the other tentacles that reach out to make you Mr. Motherfucking Esquire that are vital. Shit, man. When I first started, I didn't understand the fundamentals of having a team. I think if I did, I'd be way further. But I just thought about it like, okay. Full disclosure, I kind of felt like I kind of knew that. But my my ghetto loyalty got the best of me. Like, because you have the survivor's remorse type shit. Like, oh, well, you know, I should fire you, but you're my friend, so I can't. And that's not good. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because then that hurts the overall business. Boss lesson number one. Don't do business with your friends and shit. You know what I'm saying? Um, But what I've learned now about constructing a team is you need to be the stupidest person, but you need to be the smartest person for you. You need to be the stupidest person business-wise, but the smartest person about what you want. You know what I'm saying? And you got to... I don't think it's even like selling ideas... Because I even work with my manager now. It's not a lot of it. It's me, him, and Gouch. You know what I mean? Doing shit. And, like, I got other little tentacles as far as graphic design. I got my dude. I got this. You know, other things. But, like, as far as, like, driving the business and publishing and, and okay, even even publicity and PR and shit, you know? What I've learned is I think one of the vital and key things, it doesn't really matter who's around you. Or the experience level, if you don't know how to articulate what you want correctly. You have to know how to articulate what you want. And you also have to know how to listen and compromise when it's when you see the big when it's in when it's in view of the bigger picture. Cause I think as artists, we sometimes make bad business decisions because we think short term. Cause we always thinking about how we feel and not what's best for business. Right. right. You know, because our art is driven off our uh, emotion. emotion. Right. Exactly. So I've learned to differentiate. Well, I'm not going to say I've 100% learned, because if I learned, I'd be rich, you know. But I've I've learned a lot about that, like learning how to pick people to be around and knowing, knowing when I'm hearing some bullshit and knowing when I'm hearing some good shit. You know what I'm saying? But honestly, that, that only comes with time or luck. You know, some people get lucky, like, oh, yeah, Dame Dash discovered me and I'm rich or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Right. But is I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with this. You got to ask me another question. Like, what would, for me, a, a term like a manager, mm-hmm. it's one of those terms that people throw out. Mm-hmm. What does your manager, what do you expect of your manager to do for you as an artist? Uh, make me money. And in and, and, and what ways? <laughs> um, shit, man. I mean, it's, it's, it's going to be merchandising, obviously. It's going it's to be your music, obviously. Which music, I mean, music can make money depending on what your idea of your money is. Um, and and just you know getting you opportunities, placements, things of that nature. Like he can, should, can you have multiple managers? I absolutely got ten managers if you want to pay them more. Okay, <laughs> what, 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 but does 
my my thought of a, a manager, and, and I'm 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 learning too, uh-huh. is that you can. It's almost it's like an eat what you kill mentality. Like you mm-hmm. can have one, two, or three, four, five, yeah. and you just get a percentage of whatever you kill. Uh huh. Is is that how it goes? No. Okay. Uh, your manager gets a percentage of everything you do if you love them, because managers don't make no money. Got you. You know what I'm saying? Like if you make one hundred and fifty thousand, he only made thirty, right? Okay. Technically. Nigga, he can't pay his bills in New York City on $30,000. Okay. So, no, I wouldn't say that. Okay. And that's why I don't believe that you should have more than one unless you have a business that's booming to the point where you need more than one manager. You're making millions of dollars. Obviously, you have more to manage. But at our level, it's fine just you, one of your boys, a DJ, and a manager. Okay. And y'all rock like that. You know what I'm saying? And everybody could be happy. Now, as far as one thing you've, you've done a great job with is your live show. But also with merchandising. Mm-hmm. So, like, how have you been able to cultivate um, the merchandising side of, of, of your business? What I do is kind of like I don't really release a lot of shirts. I don't. I don't put a lot of stuff out. And when I do, I don't put a lot of it out. So it always sells. You know what I'm saying? Got it. I don't really flood. You know, like even record wise, I don't flood. Like I dropped an EP in July, six songs. You know, people went out and bought it because I didn't do an album in four years. So they're like. And it's rare because a lot of people just be like, fuck that dude, whatever. But I was looking, okay, okay, what's special about this? All right, let's do a vinyl, you know, because vinyl, vinyl sells well. Let's do a vinyl. Let's do a shirt. Let's do a vinyl shirt bundle. Let's, you know, like, it's just, I don't know. It's just, I try to think about things and what would I spend my money on? And then I just try to get people to do the same thing I think would be smart. You know, like, all right, well, what would I want to buy? If I was, if I was a fan... I am a fan of certain artists. I buy people's shit. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, what makes me buy a Run the Jewel shirt? You know? Mm. I don't even know. They're my friends and I don't have to buy their shirts. They just give them to me. But I'm just saying, I'm right. using them as an example. Like, <laughs> yeah. Just saying, you know. Like, what would make me do that? And I, I just I just emulate that. Once again, it's just, I don't know, man. It's hard to explain. Um you know, you're 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 a genius, by the way. <laughs> you are. Nah, you too. You come across very passive. You know, you know, man. I just go off emotion. It's very smart emotions. <laughs> <laughs> so, but like touching on, uh, you know, one more aspect I want to touch on is is, is your live show. Mm-hmm. You know, what were the mistakes that you made as an artist early on with your live show mm-hmm. that you've learned that's made you a better live performer now? TMN. What's TMN? Too many niggas. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, you used to roll 30 deep. Yeah, 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 30 yeah. deep. Yeah. So what, what kind of problems did T, TMN Yo, too, too many, many niggas bring you? Man. Too many people on stage. Too many people you got to worry about too, where people at and all that shit, man. Killer Mike told me. That's some of the best advice Killer Mike told me. <laughs> Say, Yo, X, don't fuck a crew. Worry about you. That's what he told me. He's like, yo. So he's like, first you're going, you know, because we from the hood, you want your niggas around and all that. This is Killer Mike words. I still had the email. You don't want that? He shot it to you via email. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, he's like, yo, you going to worry about that shit? He's like, I was the same way. He's like, but once you get everybody to fuck from around you, you're going to find a breath of fresh air in every facet of your life that's indescribable. And everything from there is going to be easy. He told me that. You know what I'm saying? And I learned that definitely on stage, bumping into motherfuckers and shit. I've had some really shitty shows at important places because I had too many people with me, too many people on stage, people not really knowing what to do. Because not everybody's going to want it like you or be disciplined like you. Right. You know what I mean? Because at the end of the day, it's your shit. It ain't, it ain't they shit. You know what I'm saying? I might go in the store right now, drop a banana on the floor. I'm not going to come back and mop it. I made my store. You know what I'm saying? Right. Not People don't mop up bananas, but it's just a metaphor. Well, well, even I remember, well, you know, one example of, of that, you know, is is I mean, we had a show at um, at Drum uh, on the Lower East Side. I think maybe the last time I maybe I saw you for a long time was at that show. Okay. Um, there was you weren't feeling well. You were really sick. Mm. You were backstage, mm. um, like really sick. Like I didn't even think you'd be able to even put on a show. Mm. Um, but there was a, like a lot of people around. Mm. Like, like at this time, I remember thinking to myself like. Wow, but I almost feel like that almost added a sense of like the the aspect I don't give a fuck. Mm-hmm. Even added to that, even though there was that could have got maybe a little bit overboard at times. Yeah, I, did. I felt like, <laughs> but I felt like that that added to the mystique. Yeah, it did 
you know, of mm-hmm. like, yo, I don't give a fuck, man. I'm here. It is yeah, what it yeah, is. Yeah, that's you know. what it was for. <laughs> but you know, everything has to be calculated too. You know, you can't let shit go. You gotta keep shit, you know, in, in tow, like tied up neatly. Yeah. You know, because sometimes things form their own, you know, tentacles and they get out of control. Right. Right. You know what I mean, because it's a this whole back end to that too. But it looks nice. It looks nice. A hundred people on stage. That shit looks powerful. It does look very powerful. It's powerful vision. But how ill is it to be by yourself and command the same presence? But to like to wrap the interview, you know, what what advice do you have? Obviously, you have you know, be true to yourself mm-hmm. and and go with your raw emotion. Was there any other advice that you've learned along the way uh, for aspiring artists? We touched on on the show people behind the scenes, but you're the only person that probably ever come on the show mm-hmm. that is the vocal giant. Man, um, follow your gut. Be genuine, be consistent, carve your own path. Because I could say, you know, I don't want to get, like, too specific on, like, marketing a brand. I mean, I, I feel like those are the the tenets of that shit. You know, we could talk about what platform, platforms, but all that stuff is going to change. That'll be different two years from now. Right. So I just want, you know, my main thing doing this was just to say things that will be relevant eternally. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because somebody might find this interview... I want to. Sometimes you might watch Marvin Gaye interview from 1975, but the shit he's saying is resonating with what's going on right now. Right. Or I'd rather even talk. in the conversation we had about Tumblr, like yeah. Tumblr was a, a a popular medium at the time. Mm-hmm. Now people mm-hmm. are really checking for Tumblr now. Trying out. So that's why I don't really want to base my theories off things because things fade. You know. What principles I mean? don't. Principles don't, and principles are what can be applied at any time. The same things that got. Heavy D popping, same things that made me a person that you want to interview. It's the same thing. You know what I'm saying? It's just be consistent, be true to yourself, stay open minded, look for openness. You know what I mean? When you see an opening, be prepared to take advantage of it. Not everything is good, not everything is bad. Avoid low hanging fruit and never go too far out of your way to get the fruit that's high up because sometimes it's not worth it. And that's it. Mr. Motherfucking Esquire. Yeah. Boom. It's great having you on the show, man. There we go. It's great seeing you again. Hey, Corey. Hey. Gout Corey. <laughs> oh, without a gout. Without a gout. <laughs> Ain't no gout about it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much to the Silent Giants behind this episode of the Silent Giants podcast. This episode has been mixed by Mark Bird of MBM Studios, located in Astoria, Queens, NYC's number one recording studio for music, podcasting, and other audio recordings. Be sure to follow them on Instagram at MBM Studios NYC. I'm your host, Corey Cambridge, signing off till next time. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.